Good Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald, and you are watching AM to DM. Mm. How's it going over there, buddy? Mm. Okay. We got locks to talk about. Got a locks to talk about. Get it? Anything else? Any more puns you want to? Um, you know, it's I'm I'm barely coming up with any. Um, I feel like uh, I gotta say it was a real cheesy moment in New York politics yesterday. Okay, um, mm. let's talk about it's this. It's actually I gotta be honest. Do I you like know, it? This is my first time trying it. I get the salt and the savory. I get it. You get that? I get it. Onions though. Right. I mean, I just don't like onions. Period. I don't, I don't though. Really so like Here's the thing, mm. um, Isaac knows that I, this, is, this has been a slow warm up to get me to even talk about this <laughs> this morning, uh, and he has persevered astutely. Um, Bagelgate, what's up? What's the deal? Okay, so here's, everyone was on the timeline yesterday. You all saw it happen. Basically, Cynthia Nixon on the show yesterday yep. was doing a lot of press, going around New York, had press following her, mm -hmm. ordered a cinnamon raisin bagel with lox, mm -hmm. with cream cheese, with capers, with red onions. Uh, and a lot of people in New York took that as a uh, sign against God. Um, people got really upset. Okay. Yeah, it, wow. they, they, there were a lot of feelings. Um, but then of course there was the pushback to the pushback. Mm -hmm. Then you had Cynthia Nixon herself double down, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people actually kind of respected. I noticed that. She said, don't yuck my yum. Which, that's a pretty nice phrase. Very, very, very good. Okay, she didn't come up with that though. She, that a, she did not come up with that is a phrase, but it was a good way yum. to handle it. But listen, this, this actually has a long history in New York politics. Bill de Blasio, 2014, still recovering mm -hmm. from eating a piece of pizza on Staten Island with a fork and knife. Like some kind of fancy man. <laughs> I mean, it, it really says something about us, I guess, that Cynthia Nixon, um, admitting that though she is a weed legalization advocate, she apparently doesn't smoke weed or have a dealer, uh, is somehow less controversial than her bagel's choice. <laughs> you know what, I call that progress. You think, 2018, okay. I call that growth. 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 Um, okay, I just, it wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. Yeah. I, wo I was just like, what is, I woke up from a nap and was just like, what, why, who cares? Okay, all right, girl. Well, so here's the thing, after the pushbacks of the uh -huh. pushback and Cynthia Nixon doubling down, you then had other people, so you know, there were a lot of people from upstate New York that were like, actually, that's a totally fine, normal. And then you start to get into the politics game of it. Like, is this a common order from upstate New York? Is she playing for some outside voters? That's interesting. The other thing that happened was you had people saying that this is actually a food palette choice of North Africa, also of Sweden. Intersectionality. Okay, Th this bagel is a global citizen, hun. Also, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't hate it. You didn't hate it? I did not Would hate it. Would you happily keep eating it? Yeah, man, you know what, I'll take another bite. Um, you wanna okay. remind See, people I about Thursday? <laughs> Friends, don't forget to vote. Mm. September 13th, this Thursday, you can vote. I'm sure you had a wonderful subway ride <laughs> this morning <laughs> while you were trying to get off your tweets about bagels or whatever. Let's see how that was going. Yeah, I just, you know, do what you gotta do, I guess, but, uh, who among us, let us ask, let us ask this. Yes. Who amongst us does not have weird food combos that they love? So here's the thing, here's the thing. And it's fine because I'm not running for governor. Um, yet. I, when asked this morning, I was like, oh yeah, I in like middle school, high school, totally uh, loved make, mixing drinks and sodas and juices all the time. Mm. And my favorite thing mm. was orange juice and Coca-Cola. What? <laughs> Uh, I loved it. I drink it all the time. I'm now, sorry. This is way more normal than that. <laughs> I like that you were like mixing juices. I was like, oh, oh orange yeah. juice I and carrot. Like, I thought That's I was like, not a juice, I thought man. I was like a, a, an alchemist. <laughs> um, now, I should say I prefer 
um, like orange juice with a lot of pulp okay. for this. I like. Okay. I think the texture is part of the delight. But I haven't had this in a long time. I'm excited. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, you got that. Can you see? Oh, oh, they saw. Oh, they see, saw. You see the nice brown. No, it's not a good color. It's yeah. not a good color. It's so good. What? You it's still so love good. it? It's so good. When was the last you time? Try it? If you try, just a I'm quick bite. All right, fair enough. It's so good. I hate <laughs> that I like it. All it's right. Okay, All Twitter, right. wait, give that to me. We want to hear from you. This is, it's really good. We want to hear from, I'm drinking this for the rest of the show. We want to hear from you. What other weird food or juice or soda combinations do you love? Let us know using the hashtag, don't yuck my yum. Don't yuck my yum. All right, let's get to the news. A lot is going on, of course. Hurricane Florence is now a category four storm with sustained winds of 130 miles per hour and is on track to make landfall in North Carolina on Thursday. Here's a tweet from meteorologist Ryan Maui. As Hurricane Florence makes landfall, the storm movement will be a crawl. Models are showing monumental rainfall totals along the coast and just inland east of the eye's landfall location. And look at that graphic. Yeah, that's mm. very, very scary. Well, Dr. Marshall Shepard, a meteorologist and professor of geography at the University of Georgia, joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Shepard. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so earlier this morning, Mike Del Moro tweeted that the evacuations underway on the East Coast ahead of Hurricane Florence amount to the largest peacetime evacuation in American history. That is nearly one million people who are currently being evacuated um, in states like North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. Um, you've noted, though, and I saw you have a new piece up on Forbes right now about this, that often people decide not to leave, even under these kinds of situations. Why why is that? Yeah, it's, it's odd because this is, guys, let me just say right off the bat, I, I agree with Ryan. This is a devastating storm. It's big. It's intense. We normally haven't seen a storm of this intensity uh, in this part of the U.S. So uh, it's going to be a disaster. I, I mean, I just have to kind of keep it real and put it out there just that way. But yet there are people that won't leave. Uh, people have this sort of wait and see attitude or they have this attitude. Oh, I've lived through a hurricane before. I've had flooding. But one of the things that I did write about in that Forbes article is that it's often difficult for people to sort of perceive or sort of think about something they have not experienced. Yeah, you've experienced a hurricane or a flood, dude, but you haven't experienced this. This is an anomaly event. All right, and so what, this is an anomaly. When should people decide to evacuate? When is now. that <laughs> This is Say it. it again, say it again. Now, for this particular event, we're talking about a Thursday uh, landfall. If they don't evacuate today, it's essentially too late because there's just too many th other things that are going on. So this is the window is closing rapidly on this. Okay, well, let's talk about um, comparisons to other storms, um, because that for me this morning as I was preparing for today's show was when I went, oh my goodness, I understand why you are so alarmed. You've noted that there are a lot of possible comparisons that can be made between Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Harvey, which hit Houston in 2017, and Harvey had a lot in common with Katrina. So what is it about Hurricane Harvey and Florence that is very alarming? Yeah, what, what's particularly alarming, and that's a, that's a astute observation you made, is this storm, like Harvey, it's going to make landfall likely as a, a, a strong Category 4, maybe even a Category 5 hurricane. That brings enough problems as it is with the storm surge and wind, but then it's going to slow down. It's As Ryan talked about in that lead that you mentioned, 
it's just kind of kind of hang out there, maybe even meander around. And we're talking about 20, 30 inches of rain. If it slows even more, perhaps even more, we're talking about, you know, three, four feet of rain. Uh, that's a that's a worst case scenario. But that is exactly what we saw with Harvey. It just sat there for days in rain. And we're already talking about an area, guys, where there, there's already saturated soil from previous rains this summer. All right. Now, when I'm reading up on storms like this uh, and, and in preparation, of course, there's um, so much data out there. There are so many yeah. numbers. There are so many metrics that are shared. I myself, it won't surprise you, doctor, not a meteorologist. <laughs> what are two like kind of key things that people should focus on when trying to gauge the danger of a storm? Well, I'll handle the meteorology for you. I have three degrees in meteorology and the former president of the American Meteorological Society. So we have the Saffir-Simpson scale. That's the scale that talks about the category of the storm. But the problem with that scale is it only talks about the wind and the pressure of the storm. It tells you nothing about the rainfall potential. So something else that I would uh, advise that you keep a close eye on uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has something called the Weather Prediction Center. Follow them on Twitter if you can, because they put out some really good maps showing rainfall potential as well. So uh, uh, kind of to sum up my advice here, don't get too hung up on the category or exactly where it makes landfall. Focus on the broader impacts of the storm, irrespective of what its category is. And we're talking about a really large storm, a really intense storm that's going to slow down. So that means a lot of rain plus the storm surge and wind. Okay. Um, I wanted to broaden the conversation for a bit. Um, as people are, and you've shared like images of all of the different tropical storms and hurricanes, you know, in, in, in both the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, and people reasonably make a connection to climate change. Let's talk about that. What do we know for sure about the relationship between these kinds of hurricanes and climate change? Well, let me just first say that I served as an author on a National Academy of Sciences study where we said, looked at it, the ability to link current extreme weather events to climate. And you got the skeptic crowd out there that says, oh, we've always had hurricanes. Well, grass always grew too until you put fertilizer on it. Now it grows faster. But what we know about uh, climate change links is that uh, we know physically that a warmer ocean environment should lead to more intense storms. It's not clear whether we'd see more storms but when they do happen uh, from a physics standpoint, at least, they should be stronger. Uh, what I don't like to do with individual storms like a Florence is say, oh, that storm is caused by climate change. That's, we just can't say that. But we know that there's a likelihood of more intense storms. Here's what I can say, though. We know that sea level is higher because of the climate change. So when we have a Hurricane Florence moving in, we know that it's going to be shoving a bit more water, a higher sea level into those coastal regions. There are some other things, too, that we will need a bit more sort of fine tuning but there is a chance that uh, climate change could be leading to these storms stalling out more. And also, as Dr. Kerry Emanuel and colleagues from MIT have noted, these storms are starting to get more intense at, at, at higher latitudes, so further away from the tropics. So uh, that's what we need to kind of be thinking about going forward in the research. But for now, my focus is on preparing people for the immediate threat this week because it's going to be uh, epic, historic, and, and unfortunately, probably tragic. It's epic, historic, and unfortunately, probably tragic. I do want to ask you, Dr. Shepard, one more question before we let you go. Um, how can we in the media cover dangerous storms like this without over-sensationalizing them? Because I feel like you see a lot of that, and that does lead to people kind of having this attitude of, well, let's see, maybe I can sit this one out at home. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the whole notion of warning fatigue and the hype. Uh, I, I, I used to host a show on the Weather Channel. I now do a podcast called Weather Geeks for the Weather Channel. And we can so media rologists. And we see a lot of hype and social media rology out there because people want clicks and they do clickbait and they're trying to get attention to their sites. Uh, what I would advise the media to do is one, uh, continue to consume information from credible sources like the National Hurricane Center because they, they tend to put out very hype-free, objective information. And the other thing that I would do is to you know make sure you have a set of credible sources you know, like myself and others that you can, you can call on because there's a lot of uh, noise out there. People like me and Ryan and others try to give you signal when it comes to weather events as well. But there, the reality is uh, there's still going to be a lot of attention in this era of social media for weather events. Um, and, and that can create a fatigue situation for many people that aren't expert in the area in this particular field. All right. Well, Dr. Shepard, I feel like we're probably going to have you back on the show sooner rather than later. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Right, take, take care, guys. Thank you. Okay, in Dallas, Texas, Officer Amber Geiger has been charged with manslaughter in the fatal shooting of Botham Jean at his apartment. I'm sure you have seen a lot of tweets about this. Yeah, and there are still more questions than answers. Jennifer Emily of the Dallas Morning News, you tweeted, Family Dispute's official account of the moments before Dallas police officer Amber Geiger shot Botham Jean. Breaking news reporter for Dallas Morning News, Dana Branham, joins us now. Good morning, Dana. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being with us. Okay, so let's start here because a lot of bizarre details and frankly, it's very confusing and obviously upsetting. What does this officer, Amber Geiger, say happened the night she killed Botham John? Right. So yesterday we got um, an affidavit that lays out what police say happened in this situation. And so she says that um, she parked on the wrong floor of her parking garage and the parking garage um, connects to the floor that you live on. So she got off on the fourth floor. She lives on the third floor um, and went to the apartment that's directly above hers. So the affidavit says that she put um, she put her key card in the lock um, and it the door was slightly ajar. So the force of just putting the key in there opened it up. And um, she said the lights were off and she saw a silhouette in the darkness. And from there, she um, made some verbal commands, it sounds like, that, that were ignored, the affidavit said. And um, then she shot her, um, she fired her weapon twice and one of the, and, and struck the, um, and struck both of them once. Okay, and so now that is kind of the official statement, but what does the family dispute, Dana? Right. So we heard from the family's attorneys yesterday that they um, they have witnesses who said that they heard knocking on the door. They heard um, a woman's voice saying, let me in, let me in. Um, and they're saying that doesn't make sense if she she had simply put her key in the lock and, and walked inside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that detail in particular got my attention. Um, what about um, neighbors and people in the community? What has been the response from them? Yeah, I think a lot of people want want answers, want clarity. Um, they want to know why they're hearing discrepancies between um, witness accounts and what the official police account is. Um, so I think that's that's what we're hearing a lot from people. Something I saw a lot on social media this morning was this idea that the officer was giving commands that were ignored, um, although she was off duty and, and she was entering someone else's home. And so um, that, that's sort of a strange situation to be off duty and, and still um, making verbal commands. That, and I, she was in uniform, so I guess perhaps that was 
the idea was he should have been listening to her. But again, it was his apartment. He was in his own home. Yeah. Also kind of coming off of a 15 hour workday, like the officer was uh, very tired, tired enough to, according to the officer, mistake the apartment, uh, but still somehow nailing every single other procedure correctly. Well, here's a tweet from you, Dana. There's a huge amount of misinformation out there about Amber Geiger and Botham Jean. Don't share rumors and hoaxes, folks, debunking from Jennifer, Emily, and me. So Dana, we're talking about actual legit questions that people have, but what's some of the misinformation that you've had to debunk? Right. So when we first, um, when this was first developing, this was more on Saturday, um, we were seeing a lot of people posting on social media that um, Amber Geiger and Botham John um, each other, and they did not. Um, people were saying that they had been dating and they were pointing to this Instagram photo that a lot of people probably saw it got shared around really, really widely, um, where people were saying the, this woman on the left is is the is the officer, or oh, this woman on the right is the officer, and um, in reality, none of none of those women were the officer, and uh, they were the woman on the left of the photo was one of his colleagues, and it, he was just pictured with a group of friends. That photo was taken from his Instagram and then used to perpetuate a false narrative that these two knew each other. Okay, um, Dana, one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you in particular is because you are a Dallas-based reporter, um, and this is a Dallas community story. And though, of course, these incidents, these tragic incidents occur all over the country, communities are not interchangeable. So what is the ongoing relationship between the Dallas Police Department and people there in the DFW area, the Metroplex? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I'm relatively new to Metroplex, so I'll, I'll do my best to answer that question. Um, I think that there, like in a lot of communities, there can be tension between um, particularly um, communities of color and their police department. Um, I know the Dallas Police Department has been um, in a national conversation for, for a long time, especially in, in thinking about the July 7th ambush in 2016, um, which obviously a totally different situation. But Dallas is a place where people have their eyes on the on the police department. And I think nationally, people have their eyes on Dallas and, and how policing works here. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. We will, of course, continue to follow the story. Thanks, Dana. Yes, thank you. All right, today is also, of course, 9-11, and every year uh, I make time to read this devastating essay by Steve Candell. We're gonna tweet it out right now, and I feel like you, please set some time aside today to read it. Um, it's on everybody's mind, of course. Absolutely, um, it's an important essay. It's beautiful, um, but also it is always worth saying on days like this, it is always okay to experience these kinds of significant anniversaries on your own mm. and in your own way. You are not obligated to engage a public conversation or tweet or whatever. You deserve to feel how you feel. Mm. Stick around, friends. Fire tweets are up next. We've got a great show for you today. This is Hello, okay, we were talking about weird food combinations inspired by Cynthia Nixon's bagel. I am still drinking, quite happily, my orange juice and Coca-Cola situation. This is really good. I, I can't I want it. people at home to try it. If you're at home <laughs> right it. now and you've got I, some OJ and some Coke, put it together, let I me know what you, you think. I you try it, let me know what you think. Only I am right, though. Um, here's a tweet about your combos. Um, someone said, when you, okay, Nam, you have the cravings of a pregnant woman. True. Um, someone said, oh, oh, peanut butter and bacon sandwiches from Tara on the intercom. I can see that. That doesn't, yeah, that, 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 that tracks. tracks. 
<laughs> I'll say this. Right. My fiance, Alice Sola Kim, really loves pickle and peanut butter sandwiches. All right. That's, that's a, now ooh. we're getting into it. Now All right. The, I think it's the, it's the mix of the salty. It's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. This tweet comes from Ogo. I just slid into somebody's DMs and they deactivated their whole Instagram account. Where do I go from here? Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. I like, was... to th- I like to think that he's saying, like, I have the power. Like, who else should I deactivate? <laughs> oh, what okay. other DMs? What is, I know that's it. not what he means. He's like, I shut them down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't Maybe it was just bad timing, Ogo. Maybe you were just, you know, wrong Instagram, wrong time. That's right. Maybe it had nothing to do with you. That's but it good... probably did. You probably <laughs> totally freaked that person out. That person just started a whole new thing. All right, here we go. <laughs> Rob, you tweeted, pros and cons of dating me. Pros, I know a lot about ghosts. I can tell if your house is haunted. I can protect you from ghosts. Cons. I have a crippling fear of ghosts. Okay, so <laughs> this, this is very funny. To me. I want to bring in. I want to bring in a bit of our Saeed Isaac background. Do you remember when we? I'm sta- so scared by this. <laughs> Do you remember a few years ago for Alex's birthday? Mm. We stayed at a haunted brothel. Oh yeah. Outside of San Francisco. That's right. It was really cool. It was very beautiful. I can. We can look up the town and tweet that. I was really scared. You, you were a ghost. It was just so dark and just. Ah! Here's the thing. I'm we all were in a room by ourselves. It was scary. The universe is vast, mm-hmm. and we as humans do not have all the answers. So yeah, you know, there's possibility yeah. you believe I told, in ghosts. I absolutely believe in ghosts. I have no problem with you. I try to be respectful. <laughs> you know what I mean? You mind your business, you mind, that's where I am. You're hedging your bets right now with the spirits. Please, they absolutely exist. Okay, Harry Tufts. <laughs> Fun fact. Oh, okay. Ever wondered why it's called the Iliad? Because Ilium was another name for Troy and the ad suffix was used to mean the story of. This means that if you translated the title, the Iliad should actually be called Troy Story. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that sound. All right, Harry. That's so beautiful. I love it. That's so beautiful. You know I'm now just animated. You know, (laughs) you got Woody in one character, you got Buzz as another. Who plays the Cyclops? Shout out to Marilyn, Madeline Miller's novels. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Story. Crystal, you tweeted, I don't get offended easily, but did you all know the serving size on Oreos is two cookies? What kind of absolute horseshit is this? I am honestly shaking. That's serious. They sell them in sleeves of six. Yeah. Serving size, I think, all over is just like a scam. It's just like Oreos sleeve. are like Pringles to me. Once you pop, baby, you can't stop. That's, you can't just have two Oreos. <laughs> okay. That's ridiculous. Tweet of the day before he, like, blows up the studio. Maggie Gates. Maggie Gates. Ready? My sun sign is bitch. My moon sign is bitch. My rising, you guessed it. Bitch. I love it. All uh, right. Also, it is her your username, burner the full username was Peter Kavinsky. Please add me on LinkedIn. I just wanted to point that out. That was really good. All right. Listen, up next, we are going live from the district. Stick around. Got a lot to talk about. Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News National Security Correspondent, Vera Bergen-Groom. Good morning, Vera. Morning. Hi. All right, so Vera, how do you like your bagels? What's, what's, what's your go-to? 
You know, I totally gave my way as a non-New Yorker yesterday because honestly, that whole controversy just kind of made me crave a cinnamon raisin bagel. Not in that combination, but everyone was just outraged and I was just hungry. So, you know, yeah. It's a sweet bagel. It's all right. You're only human. You're only human. Well, let's get into yeah, uh, some of your reporting. Really interesting stuff. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News about it. The breathless coverage of a sexual overture that wasn't missed the new details about Maria Butina's five-year effort to make inroads with prominent Republicans. Okay, so Vera, to start, what did we learn from new court filings in Maria Butina's case? So we just kind of found out that, you know, they were really pissed off when the news of the DNC hack became public um, because it really messed with their own plans because they were kind of just trying to cozy up to all these, you know, important politicians and all these Republicans. And suddenly being, you know, a Russian connected to the Russian government was even more, was really suspicious. And so, you know, they were saying this was a waste of time. We spent three years, you know, developing all these people and now we can talk to them. You know, she was saying uh, where I'm, you know, laying really low now. Um, and so that was what was really the news in the filing. But the other other thing we learned, new thing we learned, is that that whole thing where uh, people said that she was trading sex for a job, or that she was basically this whole idea we had that she was some kind of honeypot who was out there, you know, seducing uh, Americans, was really not true. Uh, and her lawyer had said it wasn't true. And then the Justice Department came out and said, "Yeah, we misinterpreted these texts that were actually just kind of jokes between friends. Wow. That were just kind of jokes between friends." That said, it seems like the media has really run with this storyline, kind of of the sexy Russian spy. Why do you think that is? And are people correcting their earlier reporting? Mm. Right. Well, because it's irresistible, you know. I mean, first of all, it was based on the actual court documents, right? But also, I mean, there's this, you know, tall Russian redhead who loves to, you know, pose with guns, who was in Russian GQ, who suddenly shows up with all these, you know, Republican presidential candidates. And then they also say that she was, you know, offering sex to people for a job. I mean, of course, that was what a lot of people went with. That's, you know, that's just how the news works, right? Um, but ultimately, you know, the much bigger story wasn't really about her. It was how they, the Russians had decided really early on that if they, you know, spoke about gun rights and about being Christian and about all these other things like that, they could really, really get close to Republicans. Um, and so that was something that was, you know, happened before the Trump campaign, happened before Butina. And so uh, I think all the little, you know, sexy details really uh, kind of obscure the really, really crazy big story that's happening there. It just to me says everything that, of course, misogyny would impact and distort even a story as wild as a Russian spy like wooing Republicans. Um, Vera, you have been like really trailblazing a lot of reporting on this. So as people get distracted, as you know, the story continues to unfold and perhaps the core significance of Maria Butina's case can get lost, can you help refocus us? Like, why is this so important for us to zero in on? Well, I think what it kind of did is uh, what a lot of intelligence officials and former intelligence officials and, you know, Russia analysts have been saying is that it really shows that um, Russia was, the government and also people like this official she was working with who often were kind of freelancing, you know, just kind of dispatching people to the U.S. to see kind of what they could do. Um, they were really throwing anything they could out there and seeing what stuck. And in this case, I mean, she did get close to a lot of people. But I'm sure, like somebody told me uh, a couple weeks ago, there were a lot of Maria Butinas out there. And the fact that, you know, this, this uh, hacking of the emails happened and they were pissed off because it messed with their own plans really shows that these were just 
overlapping. All these different efforts were overlapping and they weren't aware of each other. It was just really this kind of new era of um, not, necessarily, not necessarily spying, but just kind of, you know, influence campaigns. And um, a lot of people were doing a lot of operations and they didn't know uh, what was happening around them. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Vera, as always, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. All right, friends, up next, I sit down with Vivica A. Fox. I'm so excited to talk to her. We're totally gonna talk a bit about Kill Bill. And also we're gonna talk about Face of the Truth, darlings. I'm so excited. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hello, my queens. This is The Sit Down. I'm here with actor, author, and television's newest daytime queen, the one and only Miss Vivica A. Fox. Good morning. Good morning, darling. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm just, you're giving me life. <laughs> the longer I look, the more I see. The more sparkle you see. Yes. <laughs> I love Right. It. I love and it. my outfit's kind of like an AM to DM kind of thing. Right. Yeah, like, yes. Oh, yeah, you yeah, can I could not. I get it. Yes. I get it. I yes. It. Well, congratulations on your new show. Thank you very you're much. You're the host of Face the Truth mm -hmm. on ABC. Um, let's take a look at the upcoming season. Let's okay. See. I am $120,000 wow. in debt. It tears me up inside. I never knew that she would love me like that. Are you kidding me? I died for you. Today's. Woo. Okay, the truth is there. It's ready. And it's on mm. CBS, girl. I need more coffee. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> How did Face the Truth come about? Face the Truth came about because uh, Dr. Phil and I, I was a guest on his show a long time ago. Okay. And he and uh, his, his wife, Robin, and I mm -hmm. have something in common. We okay. are shoe lovers. Okay. And so I was a really fun guest on there. And he had me back a couple more times. Mm -hmm. And he just really liked me. And he said, you know what? I think you have a place on daytime television. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. He says, yes. And so we did a pilot. Mm -hmm. And the first pilot that we did, it didn't get picked up because it was at the time when it just they weren't wanting more celebrity style talk shows. Okay. So CBS then wanted to have kind of like a everyday folks conflict type of show. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Phil said, guess what? We're going to shoot this. This time I know that this is the kind of show that they want. Mm -hmm. We shot the pilot and it was so amazing to come to New York City, mm -hmm. pitch a talk, my talk show mm -hmm. with Dr. Phil at the Hertz building. Okay. I, I wanted to pinch myself. Ah. I really did. Overlooking Central Park. And oh now gosh. here we are. We're on. You I, keep making it. I'm like, you made it, but I'm like, you're Vivica Fox. But, but. still, it was such <laughs> yeah. a new chapter okay. for me. Like I, I be, to be, like you said, I became, became an author. Mm -hmm. And with my new book, Every Day I'm Hustling, I shared my secrets of success. Mm -hmm. What it's like to evolve, to go to new chapters, mm -hmm. that I understand how hard it is to achieve success and then maintain it. Right. And so now, here I am helping everyday folks with their personal problems and trying to offer prescriptions for their problems with my truth team, which it. consists of Ariva Martin, who's a lawyer, uh, Rosie McCarter, our motivational co okay. coach, Dr. Judy Ho, our clinical psychologist, and Judge Scary Mary. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. You gotta have a scary judge. Yeah, you gotta have a scary, scary judge, judge in there. Yeah. yeah, and what's great about the show mm -hmm. is that it's different mm -hmm. because we let the in-studio audience vote on who's right and who's wrong. Oh, And then okay. America at home, they can vote as well, too. Oh, I like so that. So that's kind of, you know, interactive and uh -huh. stuff. And you would be surprised yeah. by some of the results because sometimes I'm the hostess with the mostest and I'm surprised at the, really? the, the results. Now, I'm like, what? And this is so, because before, during the break, I was saying truth is we all need to be facing the truth. Absolutely. Um, but you also, you know, it's like the form technically is like conflict TV, which yes. can sound a little, mm -hmm. oh, so scary. how do you navigate that? Because I'm sure it's like it's juicy. Yes. It's a little messy. How do you, how do you get to a place of purpose in these conversations? Well, because we try to offer them 
help. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have uh, creative sentencing, we call it, okay. where we offer them therapy. Okay. We offer them trips where they can kind of reconnect as a family. Mm -hmm. We offer them cooking classes. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it goes from really deep. There's also a couple of people that needed to go to rehab. Okay. Yeah, so it like it's a lot of different things. It's gotten very emotional for me. Mm -hmm. The parent conflict shows are very difficult for me because mm -hmm. I just had no idea with the millennials how much they're, you know, the, the peer pressure mm -hmm. that they're, and, and nowadays what they're doing stuff for likes that mm. is dangerous, mm -hmm. that is like unbelievable sometimes, mm -hmm. but we're there to like make them feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. The main goal of Face the Truth is that we want our guests to leave living better lives. Mm -hmm. And that's the main goal of the show. And I like that because as an actress, I'm always so like, you know, me, 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 what am I doing? What about the role? How can I make this project the best it can be? Mm -hmm. But to give back to the community and want to help them for me has been rewarding for me. I've been doing a lot of motivational speaking mm -hmm. and I just feel like this new chapter, mm -hmm. I call it my official grown-up woman chapter, like that I'm giving back and I'm not being selfish and just taking and saying, don't you love me? Don't you love me? Don't you love me? You know, uh, as an actress. I'm going to call you, you're a glown-up woman. <laughs> you're I, I feel, I feel motivated. I feel, I do. Is there, you mentioned you've, you've taped quite a few episodes, right? Because daily TV's not a joke. Okay, tell me about it. That grind <laughs> ain't no joke. Oh, you boy. better get up and get your coffee. <laughs> oh, what? Man. Yeah, it's, yes. It's, it's, so has there has there been um, a guest or a show in particular, whether we've seen it or not, that That's coming um, up. that yeah that has really kind of yes. opened up something for you? Well, there was one guest, to be very honest with you, that just, I, I, I could not understand her, and it was Farrah Abraham. Mm. And it's going to be on our show that's mm. going to be coming up next week in the okay. second debut, week of the show, debut of the show. And um, she, she, she tested us. She really did, because we really felt that she was exposing her nine-year-old daughter mm. um, to some things that made a lot of us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. She was keeping the, the daughter away from her grandmother, and um, it, it, was t it was tough. And then mm. there was some suspicious activity, you know, that, uh, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that you got to see. It's definitely must-watch TV. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment, and you, you go into every day and hustling like your own experiences and, and what that means, because we are yes, all doing it too. Yes, gotta do it. Um, was there a transformative moment for you in terms of facing your own truth? Oh, absolutely. When I decided to learn to officially grow up and be comfortable in my own skin. I am a woman that's in my 50s, mm -hmm. and I'm just finally comfortable mm -hmm. in my own skin. Um, I'm not looking for... Um, false gratification anymore. Mm -hmm. I used to be such a people pleaser and I, everybody had to like me. Like finally, I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I had a season of shedding mm -hmm. and I wasn't afraid to let people go mm -hmm. and say that you're not good for me. I wish you well, mm -hmm. but to just season of shedding, I got rid of a lot of negative influence. Do you remember how that started? Like the first thing you shed or the first like gesture? The takers. The takers. Yeah, and when I say the takers, it was just people that were taking away from my spirit financially, mm -hmm. not motivating me, and not being afraid to let go and, and say I deserve better, because I give better. You do? You know, I give good, so. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I give good. Exactly. Yeah, you need re relationships that are reciprocal. Yeah, you deserve reciprocal relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes we give so much and then you leave mad. Like I knew they was gonna get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! True. I, but I let it happen. That's true. So I just that's I I finally got comfortable with saying who's good for me and who's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I also wanted to talk, of course, about your work as an actor. Okay. I iconic. You've been a part of our lives in, in so many different ways. Yeah. For me, Kill Bill. Yes. Okay, because, and I have to say, because I felt watching you in Kill Bill, mm -hmm. um, it was so exciting to see a black woman 
a mom, yes, a mom who clearly loved her little girl, yes, kicking ass. Yes. <laughs> it was that was six awesome. months of training. Yeah, I was about six, to say. Oh my god, I went from a size like eight ten down to a two. Uh, the, I mean, because that's all we did yeah. Monday through Friday was we just worked out. The first four months, mm-hmm. we worked out eight hours a day, and then we even went to China and worked out for a month. Wow. And then I came back for a month and worked out on my own because they were in Paris and Tokyo mm-hmm. filming somewhere, and um, I still had to work with the trainer. Mm-hmm. And boy, was it strenuous. But wow. can I tell you, yeah. I was so proud of myself when I saw the movie. And and I know that I did 95% of everything. Wow. There was only one thing I didn't crash into that glass table, and okay. I wanted to. I, I wanted like, to. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, no, you can't do it because it's sugar glass, and it may mm. cut you. And my stunt double ended up getting four stitches. Oh, wow. But I wanted to try okay. it, though. Because once you get in it, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I remember... Do you feel a way every time you see a knife now? You're just like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. I, 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 I don't, no. But I, I, we had an excellent, excellent uh, choreographers, the Master Wu Ping, okay. uh, who trained everyone for The Matrix. So we had the very wow. best. I and then it. when you saw the finished product, it mm-hmm. was just awesome. I had a special booty light, you know, the booty light, because I did a little movie called Booty Call. Quentin Tarantino was like, oh, no, baby, you are not going to be in a movie Booty Call, and your booty don't look banging in my movie. Okay. So there's a special booty light, if you go back and look at the movie, that when I kick Uma through the door, that Literally, like, it's like spotlight. And then when we're coming through the the kit, the uh-huh. front room, and I got the knife, uh-huh. boom. <laughs> and I and then wait a minute, I saw it when I was in, at the premiere. I was like, oh, look at that. Booty it is light. a well lit booty. Yeah, I love it. I love. It. Okay, okay. So obviously we are in the era of reboots and yes. sequels, yes. everything. And you talked a bit about it. Sure. Like Kill Bill Three. Would you Would you want to do another? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I think the greatest thing that would be was that my daughter grows up and she comes seeking yes. revenge. Yeah, because really, remember she, she be. stepped over her You're and was. Right. Like, if you so about it, come see me. Well, my daughter needs to come see you, Miss Uma. And so I need she to be She should be actually the, the whole series. Like, yeah. that's the, that should right. be so. Hey, I'm here for us. I like it. Yes. All right. Well, so something we do on the show pretty regularly is um, a Dear Ferocity, that I'm Ferocity on Twitter, okay. um, segment where people tweet me questions. Oh. And I give them advice off the top of my head. They send me DMs. Are and you, then we you're go. helping people face the truth? Uh, yes, as okay. best as, as best you- I can. <laughs> Best I can. You know, sometimes those questions, I'm like, girl, what is the truth? Yeah. To quote Oprah. So we have we have a couple questions, okay. and I just felt like you can help us face the truth. Sure. Face the fierce truth. Let's I see. love that. Okay. Face the fierce <laughs> truth. Cute. All right. Last month, I was at the bar, and I spotted my good friend's man in the corner hugged up on another chick. I think they've exchanged numbers, but I'm not 100% sure. I haven't told my friend yet because they've been together for like three years now. She's in love and very protective of their relationship, and you know how that goes. We do. Mm. Should I tell her what I saw or just say nothing. Ooh, and I snapped a pic of them just in case. Okay. That's a tough one. That is. Yeah. It's hard being um, the witness. I don't know if she should put that in the file cabinet. Mm. And when I say the file cabinet, mm. it's just kind of watch because, you know, the worst thing is try to get in the middle of, of a person's relationship, mm-hmm. especially if they've been together for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it ever comes up and she's starting to go, you know, I have my suspicions, be like, well, girl, I'm about to pull this file cabinet okay. open for you. <laughs> Bam! I like it. Yeah, but wait. So save yeah, it. Wait, save it. Save but it. But let wait. her initiate yeah, that kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, because you know, there's nothing worse. If she's been with him for three years, I guarantee you, he's probably done a couple of other little bitty things. But so I would wait until she confronted me with the problem or the suspicion. You don't need to be a detective because first of all, she'd be like, "Well, why would you?" Right. See what I'm saying? Boundaries. See how that can backfire? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. mind your business. Okay. Mind your business until she brings it to you. Then you go. You know, and then you'll mm-hmm. explain to her. 
listen, the reason why I didn't tell you before okay. is because you've been with him for three years mm -hmm. and I didn't want to get in the middle of you all. But, but since you're now asking about it, I do have a little bit of proof that I want to share with you and you can do with it what you want. All right. Whew, do we have time for another question? Because the truth was vicious. Okay. All right. That was, it was fierce. That was all we got time for. Thank <laughs> you it. so You're much. Welcome. I am ready to face the truth, no. y'all. Get into Vivica A. Fox. You can watch her show on CBS every day. Every day. All right. Up next, we're going to be talking about WhatsApp leading to total chaos and, in fact, murder in an Indian village. Stay tuned for that. Ooh. Pranav Dixit tweeted, WhatsApp-fueled lynchings have killed 29 people in India in the last few months alone. It's the real-world cost of Silicon Valley tech companies building products to connect the world without anticipating how they can be exploited for bad. Joining me to talk about how WhatsApp destroyed a village is Pranav Dixit, a BuzzFeed News technology reporter based in India. How are you, Pranav? Hi, guys. I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this was a harrowing story. It starts with the killing of five strangers by a village mob. How did WhatsApp fuel these murders? So WhatsApp is more than 200 million users in India. It is their largest uh, market, and it's sort of the default communication service for most Indians. But it's also a huge source of rumors and misinformation in the country. And one of the pieces of misinformation that has been spreading through WhatsApp um, over the last few months uh, is about these gangs of child kidnappers who would come to your village and, and, and take away your children. These weren't real gangs, they were just rumors spread on WhatsApp. And, uh, a lot of people believed in these rumors and thought that people were actually going to come and take their children away. And what happened was 17 incidents of lynchings in remote Indian villages uh, where angry mobs uh, saw strangers and just totally uh, pounced on them and, and, and killed them uh, because they thought that they, were, they had come to, you know, kidnap their children. It sounds crazy, but uh, it happened 17 times. And 29 people were killed in the last few months in India because of this. In the last few months alone. So these videos and photos yeah. that people are sharing on WhatsApp that are fueling these rumors, where do they come from and, and can they be traced? Yeah, so that's the that's the most challenging part about this whole thing, which is that nobody knows where these photos actually came from or originated because WhatsApp is completely encrypted. Uh, one of the photos that was uh, one of the videos that was making the rounds was uh, you know it showed a picture of uh, these dead bodies of children. Uh, we analyzed it and we researched uh, you know uh, where that picture came from, and it turns out that. Uh, it actually came from, um, the, the image actually came from Syria. It's, it's not even a picture taken in India, but uh, it, it just took the country by storm. And people thought that, hey, these were the dead bodies of children who had been abducted. But it's not possible to know where these, where these images and videos actually came from. And, and, but like you said, they did. They took the country by storm. So why is misinformation so mm -hmm. easy to spread on WhatsApp? Yeah, so I think misinformation is really easy to spread on WhatsApp because the app itself wasn't designed to have any kind of friction when it comes to sharing things with your groups and the people you know on it. Uh, you know, with a couple of taps, you could forward uh, anything you wanted to more than 250 people uh, or groups. Uh, till very recently, uh, post the lynchings, WhatsApp has taken some steps and uh, has now reduced that limit to just five friends. 
Um, but but basically, it's really easy for misinformation to spread on WhatsApp because it was really designed to to just help you share stuff with a couple of taps. All right. Um, what? How has WhatsApp and, and they're owned by Facebook? So how's WhatsApp and their parent company Facebook responded yes. to the violence? Have they responded at all? Uh, they have responded. Uh, there's a lot of pressure in what uh, on WhatsApp in India, especially because of what happened with these lynchings. Uh, they have taken a few steps uh, to ensure to introduce the friction that I was talking about. So uh, you can't forward things to more than five people or five groups at once to begin with. The earlier limit was 256. Uh, anything that you forward now has like a forwarded label on, on it to make it explicit that this content is forwarded and not something that somebody you know has typed up and, and, and sent to you. Uh, but WhatsApp has also come down. WhatsApp CEO Chris Daniels recently uh, came to India to meet with the country's IT minister uh, they had a series of meetings, and what the government really wants to do is, uh, you know, uh, put pressure on WhatsApp to build something they call traceability in the app, which would help, you know, uh, them to trace the origins of these messages. And WhatsApp has taken a really strong stand against that and said that, you know, building something like that would mean completely rebuilding the app and uh, basically disabling the end-to-end -end and that would be compromising on people's privacy. And so WhatsApp ha uh, has said that they're not going to do that, but there's, there's a lot of pressure on them to do it. So you have WhatsApp almost kind of in conflict with the government in India. So what do you think the future of WhatsApp yeah. is in the country? Uh, WhatsApp is a default communication tool in India, but we also have really major national elections coming up in India in the first half of 2019. And I think it's going to be an app that is really, really closely watched, uh, uh, you know, for misinformation and rumors. Uh, it's already got a bad rap, and plus it's owned by Facebook, so I think it's going to be even more closely watched. All right, more closely watched. Well, thank you so much, Pranav. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And listen, we're going to tweet out his story right now. I highly recommend you read it. It's incredibly well uh, reported. It's a harrowing story, like I said. So check it out. We've got more AM to DM in just a moment. If this was the summer of scam, well, we're now entering the fall of fraud because we are talking about the shady world of beauty influencers. I'm joined by Cheryl Wishover, reporter at The Goods by Vox, who wrote about the relationship between brands and beauty influencers. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me, and I have to say congrats on the new site, thank The Goods. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so, here's a tweet from beauty influencer Samantha Ravindahl. I'm the first person to agree that there are many influencers who are absolute garbage humans <laughs> who only care about money. But there is a whole community beyond that, flourishing with integrity and passion. Don't let a few bad apples spoil the bunch. Okay, so for those of us who haven't been paying attention to this whole scandal that's been unfolding over yeah. the past, I say, two weeks or so, what is the backstory behind this tweet? And why are people calling some influencers garbage humans? Yeah, okay, so our, uh, an OG influencer named Arlena Stell, um, who has been doing YouTube makeup tutorials for probably 10 years and also has a, a makeup brand of her own called um, Makeup Geek, posted um, a video on YouTube 
a week or so ago, sort of calling out influencers and how much money they're asking to promote makeup. So, you know, she's seeing, she sees it from both sides of the spectrum. She's an influencer herself, but also owns a makeup brand, is trying to get, it's a tiny indie brand, so she's trying to get, you know, a little bit of influencer attention, and she posted something um, basically being really um, disenchanted with the system and said that, you know, certain influencer asked for $60,000 just to mention her brand in a video. So she sort of called out the whole, you know, um, influencer, uh, you know, space environment and and uh, sort of monetary place where they all are. So, so that was first. And then that got picked up by a makeup artist who's also a brand consultant named Kevin Bennett. And he, um, said, yes, this absolutely happens. And then he took it a step further and said, and brands actually will offer influencers money to bash a competitor. And so that really, that took off. And then the third aspect, this is super confusing, but the third aspect is that, okay, do influencers do this? Do they really get that much money? And are they disclosing it to their followers and their subscribers that you know they're doing essentially what is a paid ad and like the truth of that is like no they're not really disclosing so it was like it blew up you know oh my god so much money oh my god are they paying for uh negative posts and then wow are they disclosing so that's sort of like the upshot of what happened i've been studying this influencer culture for the past few years in my capacity in my day job as a social news editor and it's almost kind of seems to me like a runaway train like there doesn't seem to be a ton of oversight into this world i mean are people really being paid sixty thousand dollars for what is essentially 10 seconds of work yeah. maybe yeah and you're getting free stuff <laughs> yes so so yes the the short answer is yes they are but not all of them you know you have to be a certain level of influencer have a certain amount of followers like definitely over a million followers either on instagram or youtube or both um you have to have a certain engagement level. I mean, it, it's definitely, they're definitely being paid that kind of money. And actually after I published my story, I had a lot of conversations on Twitter and in real life. You know, um, if there's a market and if brands are willing to pay it and they're seeing a return on investment, like then more power to them. Like, yeah, you should get paid. If magazines aren't doing it anymore, you know, brands aren't seeing return on investment in magazines, yeah, use an influencer. But um, where the sort of outrage and shadiness, so to speak, comes in is them not disclosing that it's essentially an ad. So the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has rules, like they have this long endorsement guideline um, document that says exactly how you're supposed to disclose. You know, you have to use a really obvious hashtag like spawn or sponsored or ad. Um, but a lot of influencers, if you, if you look enough, you can figure out like, okay, that's sponsored. And a lot of them aren't using those hashtags. Um, Instagram also uh, just rolled out not that long ago, I think, a little, you've probably seen it. It, yeah. it allows you to, it says like paid partnership with, and some people do use that. Celebrities use it a lot when they're promoting something. Yeah. Um, but are there people who still are not disclosing ads? Because I feel like maybe a year or two ago, there was a bit of an outcry over people not disclosing ads 
but are some of the bigger influencers still getting away with not? Yeah. I mean, can can I like point you to one and prove that they actually? But you can tell. So okay. Or they use they use hashtags that maybe are a little confusing. Like they'll say hashtag Maybelline and ambassador, and it's like ambassador. The FTC clearly says like that's a confusing term to consumers or people who follow you. They don't know what that means. Like you have to specifically say ad sponsored paid promotion so yeah i feel like there has been a little bit of a sense that maybe the hammer is going to come down on influencers and kind of like these shady practices lately we had this big scandal a few weeks ago with all the beauty influencers and the racist stuff yeah. do you think that the bubble is bursting because it's like on the one hand yeah i guess they're not doing anything wrong if People are willing to pay whatever, but there are this, these kind of shady elements that it kind of seems like it's grown to be a little bit too big and maybe needs to be reined in a little bit. Yeah, so there are two people that could cause the bubble to burst, and that would be either the FTC or consumers themselves who are like pissed or and feel like they're, um, you know, being tricked. And the FTC, like when I spoke to them for my story, was like, yeah, we're definitely looking at that, but they have so many other like sort of bigger um, things that they're worried about. Um, that fall under their sort of umbrella. So I don't know how much the FTC is going to start cracking down. They have done it before. They've sent letters to like Kim Kardashian, et cetera. Um, but I think as more consumers, subscribers, followers of these people realize that maybe they're not being totally honest and upfront. You know, influencers got so huge because they were like normal people. They weren't models, they're not famous people. And, you know, people would follow them because they related to them. and take their um, recommendations and you know buy the stuff they recommended but now they are essentially celebrities and are selling stuff so they've lost some there I, I, I shouldn't say they've lost some are losing authenticity maybe and and I mean as we saw the last two weeks like people are mad people are upset and people feel a little bit tricked yeah I mean it can be a little annoying I've unfollowed people because yeah. every single thing seems to be an yeah. ad do yeah. you think that it's going to end up being a lot of let math unfollowing? I think so. I also think like brands, I mean Marlena mentioned this in her video too and I, I've heard it sort of behind the scenes that brands are not quite sure that they are getting their money's worth all the time so when the brand pulls their money out. Yeah, then you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> well it's definitely a fascinating topic Cheryl. Thank you so much for helping me pull back the curtain. I'm definitely super interested in this kind of stuff. Up next Isaac and Saeed are reading your tweets. Hey. Welcome back. Welcome Vivian back. Fox, first of all, I got to say, her necklace was a fox. It, and it was amazing. Many people commenting her on shirt, it. Her pajama, like, you know, evening pajama, were very sparkly. She had very cute, fuzzy shoes. Ooh. Okay. So we, I, the, the tweet, you, I, you've probably seen it because I've just retweeted it, but I don't know if you've seen it. It's a tweet from Christopher Cadalego. He's a reporter for Politico. Mm -hmm. Trump is in, I believe it's like Shakespeare, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. uh, for the 9-11 uh, memorial today. And he tweeted that the shuttle bus ferrying the media at the flight 993 memorial where Trump is going to speak in just a few moments, the bus company is named Lodestar. That's too much. <laughs> That's too much. I know, you know it's like everything no. else is going on. Okay, there no, we go. you know what? I know like a lot is going on and like, but like. 
Today on the show, Guys. we talked about gross food combinations. Yeah. This is going to be a combination. I'm just going to let this one pass me by. That's gross <laughs> real world combinations. And I'm just going to let that. I saw the photo of him, too, walking into, in Pennsylvania with a double fist pump. Um, on a day like today, I'd maybe request a little bit more. What's the word I'm looking for? Decorum. Decorum from Class. our commander in chief. Understatedness. Mm. Not that, listen, I, you know, but still. Well, we asked you about strange food combinations. Mm -hmm. I am still craving orange juice and Coke. You really did like that. It was you really drank good. The whole I drank it all. Did up. you just look to see I was if there's Coke and there orange juice, juice underneath the desk? Sometimes we we have all kinds of weird snacks under the desk because I get weird cravings. Here's a tweet from Kirsten. Uh, when I was a kid, oh, I used to dip tortilla chips in Cool Whip. Again, guys, really, what this is all about <laughs> is salty. And sweet. I guess That's so. what people are really, really enjoying. I saw somebody else, our own, uh, one of our own producers, Jake, was saying that he dips Cheetos in chocolate pudding as a kid. Now that, my friends, that's pretty wild. That's wild. That's pretty wild. That I like. Jake's that. from Nebraska. Latria says on weird food combos, one of my friends swore by pickles and sweet tarts, and I'm sad to say that I didn't hate it when I tried it. Something about that sweet and tangy combo. Yeah, I actually have to say it's funny. I think I remember this as a kid. Really? It was like, maybe it was like pickles and Jolly Ranchers. There was, with the big pickles. If y'all are watching and let me know. I know pickles and Kool-Aid was a thing. Was I your mom was, okay with you eating up? You were putting <laughs> such no, garbage the pickles in your and body. stuff, that was like a school thing. You did that at school. <laughs> Tweet me, Latria. Tweet me. I, I kind of remember that. I'm just yeah. saying. Listen, I'm gonna give. <laughs> Were that, you parent shaming? I me? was. Uh, I'm gonna give that an A plus on that because here's the thing: when you are you are mixing vegetables with candy, that's a weird combo. Good on you. All right. <laughs> I think we have a tweet for you if you want. All right. <laughs> you know, Jess, you're just like, shook. Thank, I'm sorry, I was. And Jess, thank you for sharing this. am to dm does a truly standout job of finding experts and commentators who are women and people of color. All you all bring, are bringing in a stable full of the same white men on every topic are telling on yourselves. Jess, this was a wonderful comment and it meant a lot to us and today. shout out to our producers, producers like Mackenzie Marshall and Jake Bunger, Alex Berg, Patrick McMinniman. It's a lot of people, so I yeah. uh, you know, can't take credit. Yeah, they were already they doing that. take the time to go out and find the diversity that Mary, you see on the show. Mary Wilson, for them. shout out to all of you. Yeah. Emily, Caro, yeah, it helps. It helps when, you know, you don't have to explain constantly mm -hmm. that it matters. Shout out to y'all. And Dr. Marshall Shepard was great. He was. Y'all, listen, listen to Dr. Get the fuck out of the Carolinas. Like, if there was anything to take away from our conversation with Dr. Marshall Shepard, evacuate. Mm. Like, it's not a game. Mm. That conversation for me was like, oh, no, yeah, y'all need to y'all need to get out of there. This hurricane's not a joke. Well, thank you, of course, to all of our guests. Vivica A. Fox, she was great. Dr. Marshall Shepard, Dana Branham, Vera Bergengroom, uh, Pranav Dixit, Stephanie McNeil, Cheryl Wishover. What a morning. It was a what wonderful a morning. morning. And listen, we'll be back here tomorrow, 10 a.m., we will see you there. I want some orange juice and coke. Okay, we'll get him Tasty. some more orange juice and coke. Tasty.